From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Let's jump right into some breaking news that follows up on something that we uh, we talked about last week, the, the prospects for the 2021 legislative session, what that session would look like. Very much in flux right now. Uh, you had some interviews that you uh, you wrote about on Thursday. You broke the story on Thursday. Really, it's a, it, the session seems to be in flux. We're still a month away, but in the midst of this pandemic, a month is a long time. Yeah, a month is a long time. And I'm hearing growing questions uh, this week about whether we're going to have a traditional legislative session and how might that look. Uh, On Thursday, December 10th, uh, I had a phone call with Governor Brad Little, and for the first time, the governor told me, uh, for the first time anywhere that I'd heard, that the governor thinks legislators should seriously consider postponing the start of the legislative session or moving it to more remotely. Uh, He made those comments after his press conference concluded. Thursday, we had a phone call. He cited uh, the things that he cited during the press conference, the increase in cases and deaths, um, and in particular the pressure that we're seeing on our on our hospitals. But the governor also said that regardless of how the session goes forward, he is in the process right now of considering changes to the state of the state address. That's that traditional speech. Um, it's it's really like the state version of the president's state of the union address. Mm-hmm. But that's that traditional speech that the governor gives every year to kick off the legislative session. Right now, that's scheduled for January 11th, just a month away. But the governor's saying that uh, uh, unless something drastic happens with the numbers going down, uh, the the state of the state address is going to look and feel different than it ever has before. Because we've covered state of the state addresses for years, and most of our listeners probably are familiar with the tradition of the state of the state address. It's it's the three branches of government. It's both legislative houses, it's state elected officials, it's the Supreme Court justices, all crammed into House chambers. And House chambers are pretty cavernous until you put a couple of hundred people on the floor of the House, and then it becomes a lot less cavernous. And in 2020, it becomes a potential super spreader event. So not surprising when you think about the science of it that uh, Governor Little is saying, hey, hold on a second. We can't have 200 people on the House floor in close proximity for an hour listening to a speech that could be delivered any number of other ways. It could be delivered virtually. It could be delivered remotely. Uh, it could be done in some manner. I mean, you talk to the governor, he laid out some of the, the options for how it could look. Yep. Nothing has been decided yet. Uh, And the governor did say, you know, we kind of take a look at these things in two-week increments, and now we're a month out. But he said that there's a couple of options that he's weighing. One would be that he would go downstairs to the largest statehouse committee room. That's the Lincoln Auditorium. If you've ever been in there, it kind of looks and feels like a a large movie theater. Um, Yeah, it's about 200 people. It's the the biggest committee room in the statehouse. So he said he's considering uh, giving the speech from there. And an option could be that legislators could watch uh, separately uh, from their seats on the House floor or on the Senate floor or from their offices, uh, or it could be delivered remotely. Uh, He said they're still looking at these things. He said at a minimum, and and Kevin, that was really good to point out kind of the traditional 
way that the state of the state address would look, you know, in non-pandemic times, um, all three branches of government crammed into the House uh, chambers together. Uh, it's something that you and I have floor privileges as journalists, and so I try to get there two hours early in the middle of the scrum and get a seat too. But um, this year, the governor says that that's likely going to be different. At a minimum, he expects the judiciary, the judicial branch, the Supreme Court justices will not attend uh, the speech because of uh, concerns and protocols and things of that nature. But it sounds like it could be a very different speech. You know, the governor said he's required by the Constitution uh, to give the speech, to give the update and the message to the joint session of the legislature. But the Constitution doesn't tell him how to do it. And he right. said that uh, when the state fathers were uh, were writing the, the rules and procedures in 1890 or whatever it was, that, that they may not have envisioned a Zoom call, uh, but it isn't prohibited. Uh, and so the governor is looking at some different ways to kind of kick things off and, and set the tone. But Governor Little, that was a big story today. Um, it was really the loudest call that we've heard yet from on high. But he's not the only one concerned about the upcoming session, right, Kevin? And, and, and that's what's significant. And, you know, let's kind of detour a little bit for a second here yeah. to talk about the civics, because that'll also tee up uh, some of the other concerns that you're hearing that you uh, uh, broke in your story on, on Thursday. If you're listening to this and you're wondering, well, why doesn't Brad Little, he's the governor, why doesn't Brad Little just say, hey, the legislative session is on hold? You know, this, you know, he can't do that. That's not how it works. The legislature sets its own rules and determines the you know, the roadmap for how the legislative session is going to unfold. I mean, that's the separation of powers at work here. So the governor can recommend, he can suggest, and he can cajole, and it sounds like he's doing all of the above. But ultimately, it's going to be legislative leadership that decides what a session looks like. So right. again, as you kind of pointed out in your story Thursday, there are legislators on both sides of the aisle who are raising questions about what this session ought to look like in the middle of a pandemic. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah, I uh, early in my reporting earlier this week, I spoke with House Minority Leader Ilana Rubel. She's a Democratic representative from Boise. And we had a long conversation and Representative Rubel was the first person uh, to tell me that she thinks that the session... Uh, should be deferred. She said that she had extreme concerns for her safety and her family's safety after attending the organizational session, which was last week at right. the State House. Um, she said she was alarmed uh, that they're being thrust into the situation where they're surrounded by a large group of people who aren't wearing masks and who aren't distancing. Uh, she said that uh, she went home, she was in a panic. She isolated herself from her family. She didn't eat with them. And she went out and got tested for coronavirus twice uh, and had two negative tests uh, come back. Um, but she said that uh, that's the most concerned. The two times since the pandemic began in March that she's been most concerned for her safety were the special legislative session in late August, I want to say, and then this organizational session last week. Um, she said they don't think, she said she doesn't think that they have the votes uh, to change the rules to go maybe into a more fully virtual delivery method. So Representative Rubel said 
you know, we got word this week that the first shipment of coronavirus vaccines could reach Idaho as early as next week. Um, mm -hmm. That's only going to cover a fraction of the healthcare workers that will get first dibs. But Representative Rubel said, here we are nearly at the finish line. Why are we going to put all these people at risk on the eve of the vaccine arriving when we could delay until such time as it's available for everyone. And Representative Rubel said she was concerned for legislators because the way the rules are, lit, are written and the legislature adopted the same rules as the rules that govern 2020, in order to, to debate and in order to cast a vote, legislators have to be at their seats. Uh, Representative Rubel is concerned about that, but she's also concerned about public access and public participation in meetings. And so she's recommending watching streams, watching the uh, audio and video streaming of the meetings uh, that will be available through the legislature's uh, website as part of that partnership with Idaho Public Television. It's called the Idaho In Session Streaming. She said, take advantage of that. Take advantage of any opportunity you have to email your questions uh, to legislators and look for any remote testimony options that may be made available. But Representative Rubel uh, was concerned, but also had some coverage uh, of a Lewis and Clark uh, Chamber of Commerce gala, kind of a legislative chamber preview that our friend Bill Spence from the Lewiston Tribune covered. This was Wednesday of this week, and Bill Spence reported that Representative Mike Kingsley, who is a Republican from Lewiston, uh, told this group of about 45 people attending this chamber gala that he's heard a number of rumors uh, about whether there will be a traditional legislative session in 2021, about whether it would maybe be shortened, about whether maybe legislators would just show up on the opening day, uh, try to accomplish some initial pressing business, and then suspend or delay the session uh, until a later date. Um, that was that was reported by the Lewiston Tribune after Wednesday's meeting, and Representative Dan Johnson, another Republican from Lewiston, was at that chamber meeting and said he had heard some of those same concerns and questions. I had also seen some questions by a former legislator posted on social media about whether there would be a traditional session. And so it just seems like we're a month away. A month is a very long time, as we know, during the coronavirus pandemic, but starting to hear more and more questions about the safety and viability of a traditional in-person legislative session. And we're hearing it from the top and we're hearing it from both parties. And so I thought that that was significant enough uh, to put together uh, that piece that I published on Thursday, which uh, folks can go to the homepage www.idahoednews.org and, and, and read there. Uh, I also had some perspective from the city of Boise, uh, there is, um, especially for Idahoans who live in Boise, uh, there is a public health order in place for the city of Boise that does things like mandates masks and facial coverings and distancing. Uh, but I spoke with former reporter Seth O'Gilvy, who's now a spokesperson in the mayor's office, and he said, you know, the way the rules are written, um, the city of Boise just doesn't have jurisdiction over the state house. Uh, the legislature gets to write their own rules. Uh, and so he said that, you know, it's not a question. Uh, they don't have the jurisdiction. It wouldn't be enforceable. And so, so yeah, it is a little bit of this quirky situation. The state capital is situated in Boise. 
Uh, Boise itself has a public health order in place, but I guess you can kind of think of the Capitol, the State House, as sort of its own island where the legislators are responsible for kind of governing themselves and setting their own rules. And, and that was something Governor Little had told us early this summer when we were first starting to wonder about special session and then the 2021 session. But it, it seems, you know, I don't know that how much is going to change. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but it seems like there's a, a serious number of concerns out there, right, Kevin? Yeah, and I think that it's it's being driven definitely and will continue to be driven, I'm afraid to say, by what we're seeing with the rising case numbers, with the rising hospitalization rates, yeah. uh, the rising COVID-19 deaths. Uh, a story that caught my eye earlier in the week, uh, King TV in Seattle, I believe was the, uh, the affiliate that broke this story. Uh, they looked at uh, what the COVID-19 vaccine might mean in terms of, uh, of coronavirus case numbers. And they, look, and they talked to, and they, they looked at what the modelers from the University of Washington are saying. And the UW's modelers have been uh, one of the go-to sources throughout this pandemic, uh, you know, yeah. cited widely in terms of uh, trying to uh, issue and revise projections about what's going to happen in the, in the pandemic. And the UW's Modelers are saying, even with the vaccines, don't expect much of a change in the death rates until August, uh, not August, April, Uh, August is far enough away. And don't expect much of a change in the case numbers through January and February. Well, that's most of your legislative session right there. So if you did a, a historic, traditional legislative session, don't expect the vaccines to have much of an effect on case numbers. And I think that's a function of vaccine availability. It's a function of vaccines need time to, to do their thing. You know, yeah. you need to take two, two shots of either of these uh, experimental vaccines uh, to get the full effect. So it's going to take several weeks for the vaccines to kick in, you know, even, you know, when they're available. So, I looked at that and I said, you know, okay, hold on a second. We're not going to be magically and quickly getting out of this because of the vaccines. It's going to take some time. You've got to give it some time. So that kind of goes to what you were talking about before and what you're you're hearing from, from legislators like Alana Rappel. Well, let's give this thing some time. There are vaccines on the horizon. Yeah. Uh, there could be some, some good news. There could be some, you know, there could be a return to more of something resembling you know, normal life and, and something resembling a life where the coronavirus is contained enough that we can uh, function a little bit more freely. Give it some time. I think that's uh, the message that we're hearing from folks who are saying delay the session. But you're absolutely right that this is the legislature's call. And what the legislature decides to do here, unfortunately, it affects a lot of other people. It affects um you know, it affects staff, it affects uh, lobbyists, you know, folks who are just there trying to do their jobs. It does affect reporters, but, you know, maybe most importantly, it affects every Idahoan who wants to engage in the process, who wants to have a say about legislation, who wants to, uh, you know, to talk to their legislator and, and urge them to, to vote for something or vote against something. Yeah. Those are the people who are, we see them every day at the state house, you know, dedicated, caring, passionate citizens 
who have to you know, operate under the, the rules of the legislature and they don't have a say in it. I mean, this is the legislature's decision about what this, le- this session is gonna look like. So, you know, we're a month away and there's a lot to unfold between now and January 11th, which would be the traditional start of the legislative session. Problem is between now and January 11th, um, unless something dramatic, almost miraculous happens, we're going to be looking at some some daunting case numbers, some daunting hospitalization rates. Uh, you know, this isn't going to go away overnight. I, you know, I no, I wish it was different, but uh, let's be realistic here. Well, I'm I'm afraid you're right. Now, my phone call with with Governor Little, uh, he said, you know, think about the start of the session, January 11th. That's just a couple of weeks after. Many families may be gathering for Christmas, uh, may be celebrating mm-hmm. New Year's Eve together, may have family in town from other parts of, of the country. And that was certainly something that was on Governor Little's mind. But when I talked to House Speaker Scott Bedke last week, Bedke, obviously the top-ranking House Republican, um, has a lot of say in what will happen with this legislative session. He says that the legislature has a responsibility uh, to carry out its duties and that they will try to attempt to modify their behavior. But like I said, the speaker, like I said last week on the show, uh, Speaker Bedke told me that he's not going to be issuing any mandates or any rules as far as masks or distancing or, or how legislators comport themselves. He said, you know, everybody's adults here. Um, but well, why are we talking about this? I mean, I'm not trying well, to scare anybody, but Kevin, I shared a, a news article with you from New Hampshire New Hampshire Public Radio, um, under a similar timeline that Idaho's on, uh, the New Hampshire House uh, met for its organizational session uh, last week in New Hampshire. They actually had uh, some of it outside, and Representative Dick Hinch, a Republican, was elected Speaker of the House last week, and and he died on Wednesday this week after testing positive uh, for COVID-19. Uh, and it sounds like several other legislators in New Hampshire had tested positive after um, essentially a, a closed-door caucus meeting, uh, which is a, a similar type of setup as what we would have in Idaho. Obviously, separate states, separate situations. I'm not trying to scare people, but we are seeing the consequences of, of large gatherings, um, particularly indoor gatherings and, and groups of people getting together, Right. But, but you know what? I'm going to push back against Bedke here a little bit. I'm sorry. I, I know that everybody's adults here, but we have legislators who are, as a matter of public record, COVID skeptics. Yes, you're absolutely COVID right. Deniers. And I'm, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm not putting Scott Bedke in that category. I don't think he's a COVID denier. But there are members of his caucus who have publicly questioned the severity of this uh, pandemic, they've questioned, you know, they've mocked the idea of wearing masks, you know, they've, you know, floated the idea that, you know, maybe the best approach is to seek herd immunity. You know, everybody gets the virus and it kind of washes through the population and we reach herd immunity, which, you know, reputable scientists say is reckless and catastrophic. So, you know, yeah, we're all adults, but you know, some adults are viewing this uh, very differently. Some adults are viewing science very differently. You know, no surprise. That's America in 2020. So, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see 
how the legislature responds to the lobbying from the governor, the suggestions from the governor, the suggestions from in-house about maybe it's time to put this section on hold, because I think there are even some legislators who say, you know, who are so skeptical about the, the virus, so skeptical about the pandemic, that they're going to say, well, why delay? There's no point in delaying. This is, uh, this is not, you know, there's no justification for a delay. So, man, there's a lot to, to unwrap between now and January 11th. Yeah, you're exactly correct to point out um, what you did about the behavior legislators, some legislators are modeling and the actions they're taking. And and, and we saw it last week at the organizational session. Uh, The Democrats masked up and had earlier in the year placed plexiglass around uh, their desks. Um, Some Republican legislators masked up as well, but many, many did not. Uh, and, and, And that's what we saw. We saw that on the video and I went over in person uh, for a little bit, two separate times on Thursday. And and, and there's no requirement. I, I think I may have mentioned it, but uh, the signs, everything up around the state house is, is recommending facial coverings and distancing, uh, but there's no requirement and, and there's no enforcement. Right. And at a time where we're so divided about all things pandemic in this country and in the state, I, I get the sense that you've got some legislators who are you know, putting on this this public face about uh, COVID skepticism or COVID denial as almost a way of burnishing their conservative credentials or, you know, you know aligning themselves with uh, the Idaho Freedom Foundation, which has been, you know, front and center in, you know, COVID denial. I mean, I, you know, I feel like, you know, like so much is politicized right now in this pandemic. I feel like, you know, the political reactions to the pandemic and the political, you know, policy decisions related to the pandemic are are also polarized. Oh, I I, th- I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think Representative Vito Barbieri, a Republican from Dalton Gardens, said as much during that August organizational session that, in his view, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask was a a political decision. I think he he went on the record and said that on the floor during the. Uh, during our organizational session. But I also know that there are a number of Republican legislators, and we've covered this and we've reported this this year, that felt like Governor Little overstepped his authority early in the pandemic response, March, April timeline with the stay home order and some of those things. And so I would not be surprised in the least if several conservative legislators saw my article today or heard about what the governor said and it made them even more motivated to have a session in person just because they feel like yeah. the governor has already, in their mind and in their estimation, overstepped his authority um, with allocating the CARES Act funding, with moving to the virtual primary election in May or whenever that was, uh, with the emergency order declarations and the stay-home orders. Uh, when I talked with Speaker Bedke about it, he said, I'm not going to sit here and second-guess every decision that Governor Little made, uh, but what Speaker Bedke told me is that, quite frankly, in his estimation, that if it's a big enough deal to be a statewide emergency, uh, then it's a big enough deal to involve the legislature in. And I think to put it kindly, many other legislators have at least as strong a feeling uh, on the topic as, as what 
Speaker Bedke vocalized to me, right? Yeah, yeah Bedke, I think, has been somewhat more diplomatic about it. Uh, he, he's been diplomatic, uh, but he's been very clear and he's been very direct in saying, we think that there's a separation of powers issue here. We think that there's an issue where the legislative branch did not have enough of a say in this process in 2020. And he was saying that, you know, he's been saying that consistently. He uh, said that in the spring. He said that during the special session in August. He's yeah. saying that now. And he's putting probably a more civil veneer on it than some of his colleagues who, I think you're absolutely right, Clark. I think there are some who are going to look at the governor suggesting that maybe there are different ways of doing the legislative session and saying, well, no, we'll show him. Thanks for your input, but uh, we're, we're going to go full speed ahead. This is going to be a fascinating, uh, fascinating process to watch unfold in the next, uh, in the next month. And you did a great job of, of getting us, uh, up to speed on it and, and breaking the news this week. Well, thanks so much. I know that we'll continue uh, to cover it. And I know that uh, whenever the session begins in whatever form it takes, uh, we will cover that session and, and we will cover it with a focus on education policy issues and budget issues as we have before. We've talked about um, making our own decisions uh, and trying to cover it virtually and remotely as much as we can. We'll get more into that uh, when we know more about what to expect, uh, but head over to the homepage to get caught up on that story. But Kevin, just an intense news week this week. Yeah, um, yeah really. so and, many. You know, the more we talk about the, the prospects for the legislative session, it really is sort of emblematic of what we saw this week. And it's something I wrote about this week, this whole uh, dichotomy between the prospect of us getting back to some kind of normal and how far away we are from normal. Um, you know, this goes back to Governor Little on Tuesday, and you covered this, the, uh, the governor's uh, regular uh, telephone conference call, the telephone town hall with the AARP Idaho, yeah. in which he said, because the vaccines are on the way, we could be looking at you know, returning to somewhat more of a normal life in the April, May, June Time frame as the uh, as the virus has become more available. The vaccine. The, yeah, the virus is readily available. Yeah. <laughs> the vaccines are what we're we're holding out for and, yep. and waiting for. Um, so he's saying, you know, look, spring, late spring, and and things will become more like normal. And that's what he said at noon on Tuesday or thereabouts on Tuesday. And by Tuesday evening, the prospect of normalcy just seemed to me to be so far away. We'd seen another record in new cases in Idaho on Tuesday, more than 2,000 cases, a record that has since been broken, a record that stood for 24 hours. Yeah, 2,000 cases a day has become, sadly, become uh, the new benchmark for, for cases in Idaho. That's, you know, that should give you pause right there. And then we saw what unfolded in Boise with uh, the Central District Health Board uh, trying to meet to discuss a, uh, a public health order. Couldn't hold the meeting because you had uh, protesters at CDH headquarters and you also had protesters at the homes of several of the board members um, to the point where Diana Lasciando, uh, Ada County Commissioner, left the meeting in tears because her 12-year-old son was home alone and you had protesters banging on the door. So you had this really ugly scene where you know you had 
protesters, you know, not just airing their concerns about a health order. I mean, that's that's free speech. But showing up at homes of board members, uh, you know, that that's, that goes beyond the idea of what civil discourse and, and you know you know public debate ought to be about. Yeah. And you know, eventually, CDH at the urging of Boise Mayor Lauren McLean and at the urging of the Boise Police Department, they postponed the meeting, which I think now is scheduled for the first part of next week. I think Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah Tuesday of next week. You know, this, you know, let's call it what it is. And I called it what it is in, in an analysis piece this week. That's mob rule. But people show up and try to intimidate and try to shut down the process. And that's really all they were trying to do. And this wasn't a debate about masks. It wasn't a debate about, you know, should high school athletics continue? I mean, this was, you know, this was mob rule. And, and, and it's simple as that. And it was criticized you know, across the board. Governor Little criticized it. Mayor McLean criticized it. You know, the, this isn't what the public process ought to be about. And, you know, this is where we are right now. And that's the debate. And this is what's going on with the case numbers. It feels like we are a long way and a long, hard, difficult way from normal. Yeah, that I mean, that was the opening moments of Governor Little's press conference on Thursday was he condemned uh, the protesters who were protesting outside the homes, the CDH board members. And he also condemned the Nazi stickers um, that were left as graffiti on the Anne Frank Memorial um, just off the Boise River Greenbelt. And so... Uh, Two alarming things uh, to have happened in Boise, so much so that they drew the attention of the governor who felt like right off the bat he needed to condemn these things. But we're starting to, yeah, it's just an intense, just an intense week. Um, And, and, you know, this is not news to Idaho reporters, but when, when Boise, Idaho makes the crawler on CNN, it's never a good thing. And, you know, you know, I made the CNN crawler because of the, uh, you know, the, you know, the ugly protests over the CDH board meeting. And, um, you know, a couple hours later, I was watching CNN as I was doing some work at home. Uh, we were back on, uh, they cited a White House uh, coronavirus task force report that said that, uh, you know, Idaho needs to take more urgent steps to control the spread of coronavirus. So, a lot of airtime for Idaho on CNN on Wednesday, and uh, that's never an encouraging thing to see. No, it, it, it's been difficult, and it was a hard week to process. And, it, you know, we're just recording this right now after we filed our stories for the day, and so we're sort of dealing and processing it with ourselves now. Uh, and so sorry if it's a little bit um, long-winded, but... Uh, several other news items uh, this week, Kevin. You got some news. Um, I believe the Boise State Arbiter had it first, but uh, the the pandemic is going to continue to affect higher education schedules into the next semester. What's the early information saying, and 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 what might we expect or look for going forward? Yeah, let's hit lightning round with a couple of things that we saw this week, and let's we can start with Boise State. Uh, their schedule 
So we don't know what the legislature is going to look like when it opens ostensibly on January 11th. We know what Boise State's uh, spring semester will look like also beginning on January 11th. It will begin with a week of online learning. Then the plan is to try to go back to what they did in the fall, which is a combination of some face-to-face -face classes, some classes that are offered online, some that are kind of hybrids, you know, you know, students can decide what they're most comfortable with. Spring break gets pushed back to the middle of April. Usually spring break is uh, sometime in March, but this time it's gonna be uh, the second week of April. And then after that, face-to-face -face learning goes back on hold for the rest of the spring semester. A lot like what Boise State did in the fall, going to online instruction after Thanksgiving, after the Thanksgiving break. So they're gonna replicate that in the spring, wrap up the spring semester, they hope. I mean, this is all assuming that uh, they can continue face-to-face -face learning, keep the campus open through spring. The plan is to segue out of that, do the end of the spring semester uh, virtually, have finals the first week in May, commencement that uh, I think would be May 8th. So pandemic is still affecting day-to-day uh, -day operations at Boise State into another semester. Another story Sammy Edge had this week, uh, as, as long as we're kind of blasting through some yeah. developments on the coronavirus Go front. State Board of Education, uh, their announcement this week uh, that uh, they expect school districts to uphold one aspect of Governor Little's coronavirus order. This basically means that uh, school athletics can continue, but with no more than 10 spectators. So that had been an area of some confusion. There had been you know, some concerns that uh, athletic events were continuing with uh, with large larger numbers of spectators than is uh, than is safe uh numbers of spectators that uh, violate social distancing guidelines so the games continue spectators uh will be staying home yeah one story i want to highlight uh, out of the nampa school district we actually hired um a new reporter and expanded our team at idaho education news over the last couple of weeks and that would have been a major story in and of itself if it wasn't for everything else that was going on. Uh, but a reporter named Nick Strang has joined our staff, and he had a story looking at the free lunch delivery program in the Nampa School District. And uh, so the background here is that um, Nampa announced on November 26th that it was going to be moving to online learning uh, at least through January 13th. And Nick had a story about how Pre-COVID-19, the district was serving about 9,000 total school lunches to students. Uh, but since they've gone uh, to remote learning and now that they're in the middle of the pandemic, the district has given about 1,200 free lunches every day out. So there's some concern about are thousands of people, thousands of school-aged children missing out on a free lunch that they would have otherwise uh, received at school. And I know that that was one of the concerns uh, about in-person school versus remote school. And I know that this is very real in a number of districts, including Nampa, uh, that has a high percentage of student poverty. Uh, but the reality of the situation is um, that a lot of times the only warm, nutritious meal uh, that a student can count on uh, might come during the school day uh, for many, many families. And so that's something that the district is concerned about, and that's something that Nick was trying to cover uh, closely. Um, so Nick's story uh, about the free lunch delivery during remote learning uh, in Nampa, that's online at the homepage at www.idahoednews.org. 
and also Sammy's story about um, the State Board of Education meeting with that resolution uh, dealing with spectators at sports and, and gathering sizes and crowd sizes. And it sounds like that that State Board resolution came about because maybe some different practices playing out depending on what district or school um, we're looking at. Right, Kevin? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So a lot to catch up with uh, on the on the homepage, uh, a lot of developments, and we'll continue to stay on top of it. I, I feel like I'd be remiss, and we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, you know, take a little bit of a personal privilege to uh, congratulate one of our uh, one of our own, Devin Bodkin. If you've been reading his weekly blog about uh, parenting in the time of uh, COVID nineteen, you know that uh, he and his wife uh, were expecting a another child. Uh, baby arrived late last week. Another daughter. Devin is like totally outnumbered. He's got four daughters. Four of a kind. He, he is. He is so outnumbered over there. But uh, he sounds uh, really excited. It sounds like the baby's doing great. Uh, his wife's doing doing well. His wife Nikki is uh, is doing well. So, uh, congratulations to all the Bodkins and the uh, the growing Bodkin family. That's one of the aspects of our coverage that I'm most excited about now with the pandemic. And and I was skeptical at first, but I think Devin telling personal stories each week uh, about him and their girls and their experience with school in in kind of a lighthearted, almost like a column approach. I, I think that really brings the situation to light. You know, it's one thing for for you and me to report on the data and the numbers and here's a another closure and here's what the governor said but but Devin just kind of brings us into his family home and I love Devin's writing and I love his sense of humor and how quirky his family is but it if you're thinking that you're struggling and having a hard time everybody is and and I think Devin's columns do a really good job of of just bringing that to light how difficult and and kind of how these there's these impossible like competing priorities that we can't all satisfy during the pandemic, you know? Um, but I just think that really brings it home and puts a face on it. And I know everybody at home experiences that, but I think it's a different element of coverage in a different way uh, to show that. And I've been really happy with that. Also very happy um, with Devin, that, that their family's growing a little bit and, and Christmas is going to be a little bit more full uh, this year, right? Right. And, and the perspective he brings in those columns is, is really I learned from it because, you know, I'm, I'm a parent, but I'm an empty nester. Our, our two sons are, are adults. They're living away from home. They're, they're still in Boise, but they're, they're on their own. And I think often about, you know, if my wife and I were going through this and we had school age kids, how would we be handling it? Well, you know, Devin and Nikki are living that moment right now. And they're sharing that experience with, with us and sharing with readers. It, it's a cool feature. Yeah. It certainly is. I think that's everything that I wanted to get to. Kevin, is there anything that I left off that you want to highlight real quick before we say our goodbyes and go over our plans for the next couple of weeks? No, that feels like a full week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got nothing more. I think we've, uh, I think we've uh, covered it all. Okay. All right. The plan is subject to change, but right now the plan is that we're going to take a week off uh, next week on I'm December. Yep, we're going to be off next week. Uh, Kevin's going to be off. I'm going to take a little time off. No podcast plans for right now on December 18th. Uh, We do plan to have one more show the week of Christmas. It won't come out on Christmas on Fridays like normal. Um, We're not exactly sure when we're going to publish it, uh, but that's the plan to do one more the week of Christmas after taking December 18th off. Obviously, 
Things are changing at a rapid clip. Uh, and if the news demands it, um, we, we may have an emergency podcast at some point, but uh, that's the plan. You've got a, a week off, um, and uh, and then we'll be back one more time the week of Christmas to kind of take stock of where things stand. And then, you know, as of now, that legislative session is still scheduled to begin January 11th. And so what is the state of the state going to look like? What is the session going to look like? How long will it last? What are committee meetings going to look like? What are the opportunities for the public to participate? All those questions still need to be ironed out. And some of it we may learn as we go. But those are the things that we'll be continuing uh, to follow. Right, Kevin? Right. So you know our plan. To the extent that you can have a plan in 2020, we have a plan. But, uh, you know, stay tuned because plans have a way of changing. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much. A um, little bit of breaking news this week. That's kind of exciting. We always have a lot of fun breaking down this complicated intersection of education policy and education politics. And it's been, appreciate all the time you spend with us. Uh, you can always connect with us on social media, like our page on Facebook, Idaho Education News. On Twitter, we're at Idaho Ed News. And the homepage, once again, is www.idahoednews.org. In the meantime, thanks so much. I always appreciate it. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe, wear a mask, and have a good week.